Now, over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the New Testament book of John, and specifically chapter 9. And Ryan has uh, taken us through two sections of the chapter, and today we're going to finish it off. But before we dive into it, I think we just need to recap as to what's been happening in John chapter 9 so far, because it's been two weeks or so that we've been going through this story. But Jesus and his disciples have come across a man who'd been born blind. And Jesus heals the man, though not in a traditional way, if I can put it like that. He actually rubs mud into the man's eyes and then says to the man, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is a local water source that was built by one of Israel's ancient kings. And the man does what Jesus says. And after washing in the pool, he returns and he sees. Now, the locals who know this man, they're they're obviously shocked and they they start to inquire as to what's happened to this man who, who was a blind beggar but can now suddenly see. And after the man's explained what's happened and what Jesus did, Uh, They take this man to the Pharisees. The Pharisees were a Jewish uh, religious group at the time. And so the Pharisees, they start probing this man with questions. They they double check, is this the man who was born blind from birth? And they start chatting to his parents just to confirm this. And then they find out that Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath, which is a day set aside for for the people of, uh, of God to rest. Well, now the Pharisees take issue with this because Jesus' healing of the man would be classed as work and no work is allowed on the Sabbath. And though this was the principle of the Sabbath, the Pharisees had missed the main message of the Sabbath and, and the heart or, or, the princi- or the heart behind the principle. And, and this day of rest was actually meant to be restful, but the Pharisees had missed that point. And so the Pharisees, they'd introduce all these kind of stipulations and all these addings on to the Sabbath. They'd, I think they'd added about 39 classes of work uh, that were forbidden on the Sabbath, including kneading dough. You weren't allowed to knead dough on the Sabbath. You couldn't make bread on the Sabbath. That's work. And so for Jesus to heal a man on the Sabbath, in their minds, this meant Jesus was, was a rule breaker. And they concluded that this Jesus, he can't be a man of God. If he's healed on the Sabbath, that can't be true. And with the man who's been healed, he protests and he says, well, this Jesus clearly must be a man of God. He, he tries to get the Pharisees to face the facts, as we would say. But the Pharisees, they dismiss the man's thoughts um, and they, they just cast him out. They expel him from the synagogue, and the synagogue was the place of worship in the Jewish religion, and to be cut out from from that meant to be cut out from the civil society. It meant to be cut out from the body of worship and from from even the Jewish people, and that's where we are in the story. That's where Ryan left us last week, and and so we're now going to read John chapter 9, verse 35 to 41, to see how this concludes, and this is where Jesus re-enters the story. So if you have a Bible, please do turn with me to John 9. Verse 35 to 41, if you haven't got one, I'll just listen along to me as I read it out to you. John 9, verse 35 to 41. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. This is the man who'd been born blind, who's now been healed. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. And the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. And Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him say, uh, heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin, but now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Let me just pray for us as we've read God's word. Father, we acknowledge your need of you as we seek to understand your word would you help us holy spirit would you fill us open our eyes to see the treasures that are placed in this message this morning and may we meet with you and commune with you now in jesus name amen 
What is Jesus getting at here? What lesson or challenge is he trying to put forward to the people in the story, but also to us today? What relevance does John chapter 9, verse 35 to 41, what relevance does it have for us today, 4th of July, 2021? Well, this story or this event actually relates to every single person in this room. It's a bold thing for me to say, but it's true. Every single person in this room, it relates to you and it relates to me. We're all in this story to a degree. See, the way the writer John, one of Jesus' disciples, the way he records this event is designed in such a way to get us, the reader, to ask ourselves some questions. Everything mentioned in the book of John is to get anyone who reads it to make a choice. A choice about Jesus, who Jesus is. Right at the end of the book, in John chapter 20, verse 30 to 31, he reveals his purpose of writing. John says this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So we have to read John 9 through this lens, if you like. What does this story, this passage, reveal to us about who Jesus is, and then how are we going to respond? Now, the events of John 9, I think, relate to us because what we can see in this passage is a worldview. A worldview is being presented, and someone is challenging that worldview. And Jesus, throughout chapter 9 of John, is challenging a particular view of the world, a particular view of God, and a particular view of God's ways. And he is also challenging an attitude. Jesus is challenging the prideful attitude of the Pharisees. Now, I think this passage and the lessons embedded in it are quite relevant for our world today, actually. And more specifically, the attitudes of the world that we see every day. The world constantly boasts of its knowledge and its understanding on every aspect of life. And when a worldview is challenged in society today, I think instead of humbly reflecting, people respond with venom and with arrogance and with stubbornness. And they refuse to humbly reflect. And this is what Jesus wishes all people to do, including us this morning, regarding himself. So Jesus is combating a worldview here, which is why this relates to us, because we all have a view of the world. All of us this morning have a view of the world. All of us have a lens through which we understand life and the world. And so John, as he records this event, he wants us as readers to be challenged by what Jesus says. And Jesus wants to challenge the Pharisees in this story and their understanding of God and the world. And Jesus does this through the miracle of the blind man that can now see. The healing of the man is not just an amazing thing that Jesus did, and it, as is so often the way with everything Jesus does and everything he says, there is a subtle, deeper message to be seen, a message that is to be heard and responded to today. The miracle actually has what we might call a double meaning. There is a deeper lesson to Jesus' healing, a, a, a man who was born blind. It's not just about Jesus displaying his power as an amazing healer. There's much more to this. There is an aspect that goes much deeper, which is why it relates to all of us in the room this morning. Though the man can now see, that's not the end of the story, because physical sight was not all Jesus could offer this man. Jesus can offer much, much more. So Jesus hears that this man has been expelled from the synagogue and, in effect, expelled from the community. And this was a big deal. As Ryan was saying to us last week, that this man's parents had feared that this would happen to them. 
So this man, he's, he's been healed. He shared his story or his testimony with others. And he's been rejected. So often the case for us, isn't it? Rejection is part of the deal when we identify with Jesus. When we nail our colors to his mass, we have to ex- expect opposition and rejection. But what I love about this is that Jesus, when he hears what has happened, he doesn't just say, ah, oh, well, all the best for him. He has compassion, he has love, and he has purpose. He seeks this man out. The world may reject this man, but Jesus seeks him out and finds him. Christian, this morning, you may have had the roughest week. People may have mocked you, abused you, persecuted you, opposed you. You might have had the toughest, most tiring, wearisome week. You may be very low this morning. I don't know where you are. You might have had a really, really tough time this week. It might have taken all the strength to get to church this morning. Please know that Jesus sees it. He's with you. And in the loneliness and the weariness, he wants to sit alongside you and encourage you. He sees your hurt and he sees your pain and he cares for you. As he did for this man. So Jesus finds him. He takes the initiative. Just like when Jesus healed the man, the, the man at the beginning of the chapter, the man didn't actually ask to be healed. Jesus healed him. Takes the initiative. He stepped forward. And when Jesus finds the man, then he asks him a question. Do you believe in the Son of Man, as Keith read to us a little earlier? Do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, what is Jesus meaning by this question? What, why is he asking that? Why is that the first question Jesus asks? Is that the equivalent of asking, uh, do you believe in Santa or the Easter Bunny? Or is there much more to this? Do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, the Son of Man was actually a title that the Jews had for a figure who would come to rule over the earth. And this figure would rule over a kingdom that would have no end. And the figure is mentioned in the Old Testament book of Daniel, chapter 7, verse 13 to 14. You can read about that. This person was to be someone who revealed God to the world, who reveals God to humanity. And so when Jesus says, do you believe in the Son of Man? He's not speaking of, do you believe this person exists or this figure exists? Believe here actually means something much, much deeper. It means placing your trust in someone. It means much more than believing something or someone exists or that something is or someone is good. It is an active response. It means placing your faith and trust in something or, or someone. That's what Jesus is asking. Now, the classic, overly simple example is a chair. You're all exercising faith this morning. I can believe a chair will hold my weight. My weight which is getting more and more because when I'm at home and sleeping, broken sleep, I just want to eat and eat chocolates. My weight is going up and up. But you exercise faith when you sit on the chair. So I might believe that that chair will hold me and hold my weight. But until I sit on the chair, I've not exercised faith and trust. It's a very simple illustration. There's much more to faith and trust and belief. But that's a simple illustration for us. Now, the man is eager to know, and he asks who this person is. Who is this son of man? And Jesus responds by declaring that he is the figure. He is the son of man, the one who reveals God to man and to the world. And the man responds in belief, and he worships Jesus. And his worship signifies that his eyes have been opened. He doesn't just now see Jesus as a great teacher or healer, but as a, or as a great man of God. His worship shows that he identifies Jesus with What's interesting, uh, it just occurred to me now, 
This is the first man, this is the first time the man has seen Jesus. Because when Jesus sent the man off to the pool of Siloam, Jesus didn't re-enter the story for this moment. So this is the first time Jesus, actually, uh, the man actually sees Jesus at this point. Interesting, isn't it? And he identifies Jesus with God, that Jesus is the Son of God. This man's eyes had been opened physically, and now his eyes are opened spiritually because he had believed or put his trust in Jesus. He had seen the truth physically and spiritually. That Jesus is who he says he is, and our only response in that should be to worship and to believe, or we can choose to turn away. Now, if the passage ended there, I suppose the sermon this morning would have been quite a simple one. Uh, however, Jesus then says some things that we might find a bit odd. We might kind of squint our eyes at them a little bit. They may strike us as a little confusing. So I have to go on and explain. There may be words that we might not even normally associate with Jesus. Let me read verse 39 again. It says, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Judgment. Those who see will become blind. What is Jesus saying here? Let's dive into it together. Well, note firstly that Jesus says, I have come. Not that I was born, though of course he was, but I have come. There is a hint there of Jesus being sent, that he came with a mission, that he came uh, with a purpose, that he existed before his birth in Bethlehem, that, that he had an agenda, that there was a plan, that he came. Not that he was just born, but he came. So it's important for us to notice that. Right, well, that's fine, Joel, but what's this about judgment and seeing versus blind talk? What, what does he mean by this phrase? Well, actually, everything that has gone on in this whole chapter, the whole of chapter 9, all that has taken place, the healing of the blind man, the conversation with his family and the Pharisees, all of it, everything else has been concerned with one subject, sight, seeing, do we see? But not physical sight, spiritual sight. We have a man who is physically blind and spiritually blind, but he can now see physically and spiritually as he's believed in Jesus. He can see who Jesus is physically and spiritually. That he is the one who came to represent God to humanity. The one sent to deal with sin and to save us from death and hell. The man's got that. But then we have another group in the story, the Pharisees, who Jesus now addresses in this passage. And as Jesus alludes to, their sight isn't so clear. So just to explain, the Pharisees, they were a Jewish religious group. And they insisted on strict adherence to the ritual law of the Old Testament and to certain traditions. They were the religious people of the day. We often say they, were, they surrounded themselves with regulations so that they would stay within the law of God. They placed a lot of emphasis on ceremony and outward piety and purity. But their hearts were actually extremely far away from the God they professed to follow. The God Jesus proclaimed to represent, the one he said was his father. So as a result, the Pharisees did not like Jesus. That's probably a bit too tame. The Pharisees hated Jesus. Because he often exposed them for their hypocrisy and their pride and their stubborn-mindedness. 
And in our section here, we get to the real crux of the Pharisees' problem. I actually think this whole miracle is actually led so the Pharisees would see something in themselves. I almost read the whole chapter to you. For the sake of time, I didn't do it. But when you go home, read the whole chapter together. It's actually all, in my opinion, it's all leading to this point, to this phrase that Jesus um, says. Because in our section, the man blind from birth is not the only blind character in the story. The Pharisees are too. The Pharisees are blind. Blind spiritually, blind to who Jesus is. But what's more, they're blind to their blindness. People with me on that? They're blind to their blindness. I will explain as I go. What do I mean by that? Well, remember what Jesus did. I've always found this fascinating. Remember what Jesus did when he healed the man blind from birth? What did he do? We said it was a little odd, but perhaps there was a deeper point being made. Jesus spat on the ground, and he made mud, and then placed it on the man's eyes. Jesus had the power and the moment to say to that man, be opened, your eyes be opened. Jesus does something very different. And it's always puzzled me. Now, some have suggested that as humans, we're formed from the dust, as we read about in Genesis. So Jesus was, in effect, recreating from dust in, in his role as God, as creator. I think there may be some truth to that. But there may be something else, too. Jesus rubbed mud onto the eyes of the man who was born blind. The man, then, was, in effect, doubly blind. Mud blinding his blind eyes, blind to his blindness. Blind twice. Well, that's the Pharisees' problem. They cannot see their own blindness. Their view of the world is mudded, it's unclear, it's blind. So what's the difference between the man born blind and the Pharisee? Well, the man obeyed Jesus' instructions. The man went to go and wash, and he accepted Jesus and believed in him. The man responded with humility. And the Pharisees have likely been watching Jesus for a lot longer than this man, than this formerly blind man. They've heard his teaching. They've seen his miraculous signs, and yet they still refuse to respond, to accept that Jesus is who he says he is. And their pride and their arrogance stops them from reflecting and responding. They are blind to the light of the world. They are blinded. By their blindness they reject the true light in fact they even look they can't even look at the true light in fact they wish to kill the true light and they plot to kill him soon after this story in verse 39 what jesus perhaps means then when he says those who see will become blind it's meaning those who think they see will become blind the Pharisees thought they saw everything perfectly and clearly. They're all connected in their heads. But they were blind to their blindness. If anyone should have been able to see who Jesus was, you could make an argument that it should have been the Pharisees. They knew the Old Testament scriptures. They knew all the prophecies. They knew all the intricate details of the offerings and the sacrifices. But they just put their trust in their prideful knowledge and they missed the big picture. They trusted their own understanding of the world. And they trusted their own understanding of God. 
They missed the God behind the scriptures they knew so well. And I often think that's a challenge for us, isn't it? Knowing the scriptures is not the same as knowing the God behind it. It's a careful challenge, but it needs to be said. And I challenge that to myself as well. They trusted their own understanding of the world. They were the great theologians of the day, but they did not actually know the God they claimed to follow. And when Jesus challenged their view of God and the scriptures and the world, instead of responding with humility and self-reflection, they became stubborn in their position. Look at verse 40. I love, I love verse 40. And their response. What? Are we blind too? They were shocked. We're blind? They had the equivalent of all the degrees in theology, all the biblical studies, all the philosophy, all the best teaching, all the best studies, all the knowledge. Yet their hearts and their attitude were wrong. Their hearts were stone. They were stubborn and they were arrogant. They trusted in their own understanding and in their own knowledge. They were unwilling to reflect on their position. On their understanding of God, of the Old Testament, of the Messiah, the one promised to come to save humanity from death and from hell. And so in response to their question, are we blind? Are we blind, Jesus? Jesus says something quite profound. Verse 41. If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Jesus says, your problem, Pharisees, is that you claim to see everything perfectly. That you have it all figured out, that your worldview is flawless and clear. And you refuse to acknowledge and accept or consider that your eyes may have mud in them. Or your view of the world is muddied and askew. And you won't humble yourselves and say, maybe I've got this wrong. They refused at every turn to acknowledge that they could have been wrong. Maybe Jesus is who he says he is. Maybe my worldview is flawed. Maybe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. They refuse to respond to the call Jesus offered. They refuse to accept that just like the man washed physically in the pool, so we as humans need our sins washed. They refuse to believe in the Son of Man. Let me just return to the idea of sight again. Now, at best... I am an environmental scientist at best. Okay. I'm at home with rocks and soil. You know, all the boring stuff. All the stuff you all hated in school. I was at home with that. I'm no serious scientist. But one thing I do know and remember from school is that for eyes to see, they need light. We're able to see because light from an object can move through space and reach our eyes. And once light reaches our eyes, signals are sent to our brain, and our brain deciphers the information in order to detect the appearance of the location and the movement of objects we are sighting at. Yes, I did Google that, and yes, I copied and pasted. I didn't write that myself. To see, we need light. We need sources of light, and our main natural light is what? Any, any scientists? The sun, I think I hear someone say. Yes, the sun. Our main natural light is the sun. In chapter 9, verse 5, what does Jesus call himself? The light of the world. What does light do? Well, light reveals 
but it also casts shadows. It provides insight and direction to a path, but it also darkens everything else around it. As Jesus is the light of the world, he provides the way of truth, the way of hope, the way of meaning and purpose, of direction and of life and of God. But also this means that all other paths, no matter how convincing they may seem or good they may look or feel, are darkness. All other paths. Jesus coming into the world reveals to us as humanity our state, that we're all in darkness and we need saving from it. We need light. We need the giver of sight and the giver of light. We need Jesus. The Pharisees were unable to humble themselves. Their pride blinded them to the true light, and so they turned away. Let me just read to you John chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. In the beginning was the word, was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. He, Jesus was with God in the beginning. Through Jesus all things were made. Without Jesus nothing was made that has been made. In Jesus was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In other translations, it will say the darkness cannot understand it or comprehend it. The Pharisees were not prepared to recognize that they might be wrong. They were content to stay in the darkness and reject the true light, the light of the world. They claimed arrogantly that they could see everything, that their worldview was solid and sure, though the way, the truth, and the life stood in front of them, they refused to see. What about us this morning? Jesus stands before all of us this morning. Have you turned away? Or have you embraced him as God and as king? The man who Jesus healed at the start of chapter 9, we read that he'd been blind from birth. What is interesting about that is that there is an aspect that we too are all blind from birth. Perhaps not physically, but what we would say is in a spiritual sense, we're blind. We're often blind often to God, his ways, his rule, his love, and his relationship that he created for us and longs for us to have. We need our eyes opening. We need to humble ourselves and acknowledge who Jesus is and what he's done and respond in faith and in trust. So what's our take home this morning? Your eyes open? Can you see who Jesus is? He really is? He came down to earth to find you, to save you, and to give you life. Have you responded? Have you embraced him? Have you basked in the true light and worshipped or have, or have you turned away? Do you still refuse to acknowledge who Jesus is, the Son of Man, the true light? And those of us who are Christians this morning, let's firstly praise God that we can see, that our eyes have been opened, that we know who Jesus is. He's given us life and hope and purpose, but let's beware too. Sometimes we can be like the Pharisees. The Pharisees had a version of God that they liked. But it wasn't the right one. 
It was a, an idea of God that perhaps was off. It was askew. We think perhaps, or they thought that he would do this or his ways would do that. I think we can fall into the same trap. We think God should or will do this and we become upset or angry or stubborn when it doesn't work out. When things aren't going the right way, we get stubborn and we get arrogant. We don't remember who's in control. This makes us in a challenging situation in life, a moment of waiting, a moment of pain or suffering. Maybe a job or a house or a family issue, a desire or a longing that you're seeking after, and it's hard. It's hard work to keep walking, to keep trusting. It's in these moments we must learn humility. Perhaps in these moments we should ask ourselves as a challenge to ourselves, do we believe in the Son of Man? Go back to that question. Is my faith and trust in Jesus right now? You might be looking for a job. You might be having family difficulties. You might not be enjoying life right now. Perhaps in these moments, that, that question could be a helpful reference point for us, an anchor that reminds us who our faith is in, who, is, who it is we follow and who it is, is in control, the Son of Man, Jesus. Maybe in those moments we should ask ourselves, am I believing in the Son of Man here? And then we should respond like the man. We should, I believe you, Lord. I will worship. It's hard to do that. But maybe that's the challenge for us. And then finally, those of us, those who are not followers of Jesus this morning, would you consider him? Would you consider who he is and what he's done for you? Would you humbly just look at him? Only you can say personally and individually know where you are with Jesus. Have your eyes been open to who he really is? What is he to you? Is he the one you've heard about a lot but you still aren't sure of? Is he the good man with good moral teaching? Or is he the son of man, the saviour who died, your saviour who died and rose so that you may have life? Where are you with Jesus this morning? I'm going to invite the band up uh, as we're going to reflect Let's reflect on Jesus, for whom when we were lost, when we were without hope, when we were enemies of God, stuck in our sin, wandering far away, the Son of Man, Jesus, came and found us. He sought us out, revealed himself, and gave us life. And just as the man declared his belief and worship, let's now do the same.